0: If you would take your Bibles to John chapter 15, at the end of chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples there to arise and let us go hence. And so there is a question whether or not they had gotten up at that moment and left and uh, whether or not Jesus is um, there in the upper room still with his disciples in John 15 or whether he's walking through a vineyard, we really don't know. But here... In John 15 Jesus is going to use the picture of a vineyard uh, the metaphor there to instruct uh, his his followers and in John chapter 15 he's really going to begin to give instructions on three vital relationships in our life the truth is our relationships are must be a priority in our lives they must be something that we put an emphasis on because really when we stop and examine our life our life is about relationships number one our relationship with God and Jesus Christ himself which he deals with here in these first 11 verses and then our relationships with other people and how we're to interact with them and then our relationship with the world. And I truly believe if you stop and examine your life, those three relationships make up um, who we are, um, how we act and interact, how we conduct ourselves, and what we b- even believe when it comes to those relationships make up who we are. And so in John chapter 15, he deals with those three relationships. And and so in this first passage, or section, excuse me, we come to the relationship with Jesus and he tells us that we must abide in him. And he uses the vineyard to teach them concerning their relationship with him. This statement here in John chapter 15, when he says, I am the true vine, is the last of the I am statements of Jesus. Um, As you study the Old Testament, you see that Israel, was the vine in the Old Testament that God wanted fruit from. But as you read the Old Testament, you see that from Israel, from this vine, nothing but rotten fruit is produced. And so God sends Jesus Christ himself. And so as he says to his followers, I am the true vine. I am the genuine vine. Life comes from me. And so we are in our third message from John chapter 15 verses 1 through 11 and I only have three points in those three messages total so we got through point one and a half last week and so we're going to come back uh, to where we were and uh, so we're going to read um, verses 1 through 11 and then we're going to jump back in and I believe we're going to get through verse 11 today. Verse 1, I am the true vine finished reading, I, I want you to re- remember what he's saying here and realize what he's saying. He he told them just a few chapters ago, you are all clean, but not all of you, speaking about Judas being in the presence. And then he talks about them being in, in the vine. You know, some of the most beautiful language in scripture is the fact of being in Christ. You see, the only way that we can have a relationship with God is to be in Jesus Christ. We must have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So we must accept him as our Savior. And so Jesus is writing to his disciples here. In verse 5, he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments." And abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Father, thank you for your word today, and I pray, Lord, through the the the, the preaching, uh, through the songs that we heard and the truths that we heard, and Lord, through now the preaching here in John chapter 15, that you would use your word in our hearts and lives today. For those that might be unbelievers here today, or that hear this online, or through the radio, I pray that today would be the day of salvation in their life. But for those of us that are believers, Father, may we be challenged and strengthened in our walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week, we looked at point one, the metaphor that he was using in contrasting himself with the nation of Israel. And so our second point that we got to last week is the relationship, the relationship between the vine and the branches. The branches need the vine, and in the same way, we as Christians need the vine. Christ. And so Christ in this passage wants us, he makes it very clear, his desire is that we would bear fruit in our lives. And so we looked at what does it mean to bear fruit. And so he tells us here that in order for us to abide in Christ and bear fruit, we must be obedient to him, particularly when it comes to this commandment of loving one another. I can tell you today that you You cannot say that you're abiding in Christ, but you're a mean-spirited person, that you're rude and obnoxious towards other people. It just does not work that way. God has called us to love him and to love others. And so Christ is telling his disciples that we are to abide in him by keeping his commandments. So that brings us then to the second question as we look at this passage. Okay, first, what does it mean to produce fruit or what is this fruit? The second is then what about this idea of Cutting off the branches. Cutting off the branches. Jesus tells his disciples to continue to continue to abide in Him, and the uh, and He will abide with you. And the result of this abiding is fruit. But He tells us in this passage that a branch without life. Is dead and cut off and so the idea here is this branch will not produce fruit this branch will be then taken cast into a fire and burn now there are several interpretations of this passage and what uh, what does this passage mean Uh, there's three primary three main ones first of all um, the One common past thought is in our world is that this is talking about believers, those that have accepted Christ, those that are in Christ through faith, but they have lost their salvation based on something that they have done in their life. The problem is, as you read through just the gospel of John up to this point, you see in John chapter 3 verse 16, he talks about having everlasting life. Verse 36, eternal life. Chapter 5 and verse 24, he talks about having everlasting or eternal life. John chapter 2, 10, verse 28 and 29, he talks about when you receive Christ as your Savior, you have everlasting or eternal life. And then in Romans chapter 8 and so many other places in the Bible that we're told there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. So when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the overwhelming teaching of Scripture is that you now have eternal life. Now within the context of what we're reading, One of the things that I struggle with when people say, well, you know, they take this passage and and maybe a few others and say this is the Bible obviously teaches that you can lose your salvation. But listen, I can take hundreds and hundreds of passages and tell you the exact opposite of that. But here within the context, one of the things that I struggle with is Jesus just told Peter. All right, Jesus just told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Before we get to the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And we'll see in the coming weeks that that came true. And you can't tell me that Peter can deny the Lord three times and didn't lose his salvation. But yet somehow today, we all of a sudden, we can lose our salvation. I mean, within the context of the scripture, here we find probably one of the worst sins that we could even come up with in our minds about, uh, in, our, in regard to our relationship with Christ. And here, Peter denied the Lord three times, but yet we see he never was cast forth. And, and yet, the opposite is true. I think Peter was pruned, and we're going to talk about here in just a moment. Peter was able to grow and, and, and did great things from the Lord. And throughout the New Testament, you see great fruit from the Lord. So I would not take that this passage is talking about those that lose their salvation. Another common interpretation is this. These branches represent Christians who will lose rewards but not salvation at the judgment seat of Christ. But then you deal with the idea of these branches being dead and withered and cast and, and burnt. And probably the third and probably the most common interpretation of this passage of scripture is that these branches refer to professing Christians like Judas. And and I think you have to take the context again into consideration. In chapter 13, Judas is there with the disciples and Jesus said to them, you are all, you're clean, but not all of you. And then Judas is removed from the situation when Jesus tells him to go ahead and do what you're going to do and go ahead and and betray me because he knew that was going to happen. And when Judas is gone, we find Jesus still talking to his disciples and now his language changes. He says, you are all clean. You see, there are many people, many people that profess to be believers, but they're not. So many people in our world today claim to be Christian, but they've never accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. And so those are the people that I believe that Jesus is talking about and how we interpret this. Those like Judas that have, they were there and they're along and, and people attend our church and churches just like ours. And yet they've never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so I want to stop right here and say, listen, there is no other way to get to God except through Jesus Christ. In another passage in John chapter 14, Jesus using this same type of poetical image, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Yet so many people today have uh, have um, come up with these other ideas. Uh, For some people, we just believe we're good enough. We just believe we're okay. I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm a moral person, and and therefore, I'm okay. But the truth is, is all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it doesn't matter if you're the worst sinner or... I don't know if you can say the best sinner in here, but I mean, if you're the worst or the best of us in here, if you have sinned, you have broken the whole law and you have sinned against a holy God. And so therefore he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sin. And so Jesus can boldly say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come with to the Father. Listen, it's not through the church. It's not through a Baptist church or a Catholic church or a Presbyterian church or a Methodist church. It's not through the church that you are going to have eternal life. Attending a church, serving in a church. Jesus says that there's gonna come a time when there's that stand before me. They say, we did all of these religious things. We cast out demons, we gave to the poor, we did all these things. And he's gonna say, depart from me for I never knew you. Because those were people that were professing believers. But when they stand before Christ, the only thing that's gonna matter is whether or not they accepted his free gift of salvation. Through faith in him, and him alone. And so as Jesus says, there's gonna be branches that are taken away. There's gonna be, listen, there's gonna be branches, there's gonna be people that, they're they're part of the church and they're doing things, but listen, they're not a part of his church, they're not a part of his body, because they never accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. I was reading about about, um, branches and and vineyards and and all those type of things, and um, I came uh, across this uh, story in this article about Bruce Wilkinson. He's the author of the book The Prayer of Jabez. Maybe you've heard of that book. Well, he wrote another book called The Secrets of the Vine where he deals with with this passage. And, and going over this passage, Wilkinson first shows that th- this Greek word here used to cut off can also be translated to, to lift up. And so the horticulture term is very important. And as Wilkinson soon demonstrates when he, re, he relates a, a long conversation that he had with an acquaintance who actually owned a vineyard. He goes on to say, as we sat across the restaurant from each other, um, we began to talk about the life of, of a grower, the long hours spent walking the vineyards, tending the grapes, watching the fruit develop, waiting for the perfect day to begin harvest. He said, new branches have a natural tendency to trail down and grow along the ground. And he explained, but, but they don't bear fruit down there. When branches grow along the ground, the leaves get coated in dust. When it rains, they get muddy and mildewed. The branch becomes sick and useless. And, and so the question was asked, what do you do? What do you do? Do you cut it off and you throw it away? And he, the, the grower said, oh no, the branch is much too valuable. For that we go through the vineyard with a bucket of water looking for those branches we lift them up and we wash them off he demonstrated for me with dark callous hands and then we wrap them around the trellis or tie them up and pretty soon they're they're thriving you see there are some people who may feel like we our life is is not bearing fruit but if you're in Christ realize that your life will bear fruit and you are valuable, you are valuable to God. But in that story, he goes on to say, you also have to realize that it takes years for a vine to become strong enough to bear fruit. Similarly, it may take some time to bear spiritual fruit. And so don't give up. He states in that book in Philippians 1, 6, he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. No matter where you are in your spiritual life, he said, Jesus isn't done with you. What a, what a beautiful picture. But what a, what a thought I, as I read that. The value that the vines or that the branches have to the grower, the value that we as Christians have to God. The third question is, okay, if we're, we talk about the cutting off, it's those that profess maybe to be believers but aren't believers, then what about this idea of pruning? He says he cuts back. Those that bear fruit, he cuts, he cuts back. Those um, that are producing fruit, he wants to go from producing fruit to producing more fruit, and then as we read here in verse number eight, he wants us to, to go on to produce much fruit. And so the image here is, is being cut back. You know, all of us or most of us have yards and we, we cut our grass. And, you know, grass is very interesting. When you cut it, what happens? What happens? It grows back, right? It grows back. And, you know, if you don't cut your grass, your grass will continue to, to grow and get long. And, and, and what happens with grass over time is it, it loses its nutrients as it grows. And it, begets, it becomes very, very thin. If, so if you were to let it grow, it would get taller, but it would also begin to look scraggly. You know, sometimes you'll have people say, man, that yard, it looks, it looks thick. It looks healthy. And so what happens? They, they cut the grass regular. You know, when I moved to Indiana, and you'd hear people say, you know, Cut it, cut it tall, cut it often, something like that, you know. Um, Cut it tall and cut it often. And so people cut their grass four or five inches. And I'm like cutting my grass two inches because I don't want to cut it again. You know, I want to see the dirt after I cut the grass. You know, so I'm not having to cut it again. But some people will cut the grass on Monday and cut the grass again on Wednesday and cut it on Friday because they want it to be be healthy. And then they begin to put nutrients into it, fertilizers and those type of things because they want it to be strong and they, they want it to be thick. And the truth is, our spiritual life is very much, very much like that. Sometimes there's things in our life, even things that might be good, that God wants to remove from our life. He prunes them away. Sometimes it's things that are negative. It's the weeds of our life, the weeds of this world that get in. But, you know, as we consider our life, you know, it's funny how stagnant we become as Christians, you know, we're okay where we are, and the, the reality is that's not true. In our life, we should constantly be removing and growing, pruning and growing, cutting back and growing, doing, removing those things, removing those things so that we can then flourish for God. And that's the picture. He cuts them back. In Hebrews, the Bible talks about the chastening hand of God in our life. Why? So that we can flourish in our life and this is the picture here that he gives us about the the pruning back and i know in my own life i've seen god remove people i've seen god remove attitudes and and ways that i thought And, and when those were removed from my life things begin to to move forward and i begin to grow personally and maybe even even corporately and sometimes it's hard when you think about the cutting back and sometimes it, it hurts. We don't we don't necessarily like it, but it's what's best for us in our life if we're going to to grow. I had many friends in my life that needed to be removed after I became a Christian. I've had other friends throughout, along the way that needed to be removed. Uh, they claimed to be Christian, but they weren't necessarily there to support me and help me spiritually. And and I've had other things that have had come that had to get out of my life in order for me to be who God wants me to be and so as he talks about here this idea of pruning back and removing those things his whole desire is so that we would produce much fruit we would produce we'd produce fruit more fruit then we would go on to produce much fruit. And sometimes it takes this pruning aspect to it. Now, why does, as Jesus is, is talking to his disciples, he, he wants them to understand the, the, the work that's going to take place. God's going to remove those branches that are dead and not producing fruit. They're going to be cast out. And then those that are producing fruit, he's going to prune them. And he's going to, to make them healthier and stronger. Why does he do that? And so our third point for this message is he gives us the results the results of this work that's taking place in our life. Verse number seven, he tells us there, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, the first result, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. The first result that we see from this action taking place is our prayers are answered. Our prayers are answered. You know, some of the the biggest struggles in your life and why you do not believe your prayers are being answered many times is is your sin. We we don't want to be honest with ourselves about that. You know, we we want the preacher to preach and say, hey listen, God hears you. He knows where you're at. He loves you and he's going to answer your prayer. But the truth is many of us, we hinder our own prayer life because we're living in sin and we're not abiding in Christ. We're not walking with him. You know, our relationship with Jesus is not a priority in our life. But yet we ex- always expect for him to be right there to answer our prayers, as if he's this genie in a bottle. Jesus is writing to his disciples and he says, listen guys, I want you to flourish. I want you to flourish when, you, when I leave and I'm gone, knowing that I'm, I'm going to be here for you. But you, I want you to abide in me and, and, and obey my commands and produce fruit. You know, it, it, it's funny. We, we will ha- we'll approach God with the attitude like, I don't have to obey your word or keep your word, but you have to do everything that I say and ask for it. That's kind of the mindset that we have. And you know, we see that in our culture today. We see a bunch of kids in our society and young adults in our society. Hey, listen, I don't have to keep the laws. I don't have to keep the rules. But then everybody should be here to treat me and serve me and give me what I want. And we've kind of created that mindset in our society. And so what happens is we take that same mindset to God. I don't want you. I don't want your word. I don't want your church. But I want you to be there to take care of me and answer every prayer. So what does Jesus tell us these men? What is Jesus telling us today? Listen, if you're abiding in me, I believe that means we're in close fellowship with him. We're, we're removing that which is sinful or that which maybe is even good that's hindering our walk with him. And we're abiding in him and we're keeping his commandments. Our relationship with, with God, our relationship with Christ is a priority. And he says, I will hear you and I will answer your prayer." I learned a long time ago, sometimes the reason that I am not getting my prayer answered is because I'm selfish. I need to stop and take a look at my life. I, and, and I also believe when we're abiding in Christ, the things that we ask will be according to his will. And so God, I, I want you, I want you, you know, to strike down that person that I uh, don't like anymore. Or, you know, they gossiped about me and so I want you to, I want you to pay them back because I'm going to quote the Bible, vengeance is mine, I will repay, say the Lord. God, I want you to repay them for everything that they did wrong to me. I want you to, and we totally disregard what Jesus just said. Hey, listen, guys, I I want you to abide in me by keeping my commandments and loving one another. Like we we don't like that language because we want in our flesh to get our way and our will. And so that's how we pray to God. And Jesus says, "The problem is, we're not, a, we're not abiding in Christ in those moments. And so a lot of us, our prayer life is so hindered because of our sinfulness and the things in our life, our selfishness. And so he says to them, the first result is answered prayer." Then he says to them in verse number eight, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so ye shall be my disciples." The second result is that the Father is glorified. The Father is glorified. Sometimes, you know, when I get with other preachers or even see it kind of on social media in the world today, you know, what makes, what makes a, a good church? Well, 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 they got, it's exciting. There's a lot of things going on. Um, they're growing. They have, they have lots of money You know, people want to go there and attend. You know, if we made a list of what makes a good church or a great church, they preach the Bible, uh, their theology, their music, whatever it might be, we would have a, a long list. You know, the sad truth is that the glory of the Father would oftentimes not even make the list. And even if it did, it'd be way down there. You see, the truth is, is, What makes us the believers we ought to be is that the Father is glorified because we're bearing fruit. What makes a good church? The Father is glorified because they're bearing much fruit. See, when we abide in Christ, we bear fruit in our own lives and in our community and our local church, and the Father is glorified through our life. But we have to come to the place in our life where that's the desire. That's the desire that we want in our life. And I love the reading through the Apostle Paul's writings in the New Testament and, and, and just his, his emphasis on God receiving the glory from his life. I mean, God it's, it's not about me. It's not about who I am. It's not about what I have accomplished, but it's all about the glory of God. And see, when we abide in Christ then our life is about glory in God. When we're not abiding in Christ, our life is about glory in Daniel Stevens or put your name there. Our life is about getting my way and me being the center of, of the universe. But listen, we have to get out of the way or as I like to say, we have to get over ourselves And we have to glorify God. And that's the result of abiding in Christ. And then the third result, he tells us in verse number 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. The third result of this is that we would have joyful lives. We would have joyful lives. Now last week I started off the sermon and I said this, God wants the same thing that you want. For your life. God wants the same thing that you want for your life. God wants you to be prosperous. God wants you to be joyful. He wants you to be content. He wants you to have peace. And if we were gonna make a list, all those things would be on our list. The, the, what, how we struggle or where we struggle is, is how or what that means and how do we get there. What that means and how do we get there. You see, to have true prosperity, we have to abide in Christ to have joy, contentment, peace in our life, we have to abide in Christ. And and listen, the world's perspective and God's perspective are are not the same. And we have to understand that. The world says, listen, get, 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 make it all about you. And God says, it's about me and others. It's about me and others. And if you want to have these things in your life, You must abide in Christ. And really, we could sum it up with this. Your relationship with Jesus Christ has to be a priority. It has to be be a priority. Number one, you have to know him through faith. You have to turn from your sin and receive Jesus Christ's free gift of salvation and be in Christ. And when you're in Christ, you have to daily abide in Christ. Listen, I'm a pastor. It's not who I am. It's what I do. I'm a dad, it's not who I am. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. First and foremost, I am a Christian. And that right there should direct every other aspect of my life. My relationship with Christ is the first priority in, of who I am. But for many it's not that case. It's, it's my job, it's my children, it's my family, it's my hobbies, it's something else in this world and we throw in this religious, this Christianity thing, and then we expect God to be there and be our right-hand man and take care of us, and we kind of have that mindset. Listen, that is a worldly mindset of religion and of who God is. Jesus Christ must be the priority in our life, and we must abide in him, walk with him daily, And when we do that, our life is gonna be consumed with him. We're gonna produce much fruit. He's gonna answer our prayers. God will be glorified. And I believe, truly, it's in those moments that we'll have the greatest joy in our life. Listen, there's no greater way to live than to live for God. There really isn't. There's no greater way to live than to live for God. Your life will never be any better than when you're living for God and walking with him and abiding in Christ.